It sounds like the end, doesn't it? The end of the world. Sun and moon darkened, stars falling, heavenly powers shaken. It sounds like the end, especially when it comes to this time of year with less light and the end of the church full year coming. But in the book of the prophet Isaiah, the destruction of Babylon by God is described as the day in which the stars of heaven will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. It's similar in the book of Ezekiel when he speaks about the king of Egypt. You see, it's language describing an earth-shattering event like 9-11 or God forbid nuclear war. Plus, Jesus had just prophesied a temple of destruction that would not be left one stone upon another that was not thrown down. And his disciples said, when? What sign will there be? Among other things, Jesus said, when the temple is desecrated by foreign armies, that's the sign. So if you're on the housetops, don't go down to the house. If you're in the field, don't go home. Flee, don't fight. If it's the end of the world, why say flee? It's right after this that Jesus said, in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. Jesus was predicting the devastation of Jerusalem and the temple by the Romans, as well as the terrible actions of many Jews who turned on themselves and ended up killing more of themselves than what the Romans did. And then there were those youth starving who turned on their own children and ate. That's the earth shattering tribulation which resulted in lives turned upside down. But notice the twist. In Isaiah and Ezekiel, the judgment and destruction of God was prophesied against pagans. But Jesus. It's a prophecy against unfaithful Jews, especially hypocritical rulers. And by Jesus cleansing the temple, remember when he overthrew the tables of the money changers? He paused, he stopped the functioning of the temple. By doing that, by prophesying its destruction, Jesus would say, it's no longer needed because of who he is. The reconciliation of God and man. Bridging that chasm between us and goodness and love and truth itself. That's the gist of the second reading. Jesus is offering words. So it doesn't need to be repeated like the offerings of the Old Testament priests. All we need is access to it. It was one heck of a prophecy for Jesus to make. In no wonder the rulers wanted him dead. They understood what he was saying and wanted to kill him. It's a prophecy easy to verify. If Jesus rose from the dead in Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed, well, Jesus would be proved true. That's what the phrase, the Son of Man coming in the clouds, means here. It's from the book of the prophet Daniel. Son of Man meant faithful Israel, the true Israel. 
whose mission was to be the representative of what mankind should be. The light of the world, the Son of the Most High God. They are those who suffer for God and are vindicated by Him, which is imaginatively depicted as coming in the clouds. Not coming to earth, that's how we hear it, I think. But no, in the context, it's coming to God, being raised up to Him. It's this image that Jesus applies to Himself, the one true and faithful Son of Man, who is also Son of God who has sent his angels, and the word angel means messenger, who has sent his messengers to the four corners of the earth to proclaim the gospel and gather his elect. We are the elect, called to be light, true representatives of humanity renewed in Jesus Christ. If the gospel is about the end of time, end here must mean the goal, the mission, the purpose that has been given to us through Jesus. And if history is any indication, it also means judgment and being responsible for what we've been given. Do the things that can be done. It's very hard to accept irresponsibility in one part of life and not welcome it to another. It's like cussing. It's hard to accept cussing to be part of one part of your life and it not come out in another. I know this when people frequently say, sorry, Father, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Do the things that can be done. We've seen that explosion grow in the comparable explosion of hell. Kids, I just emailed you, parents, about altar serving. Ask the question, why not me? And if you say not me, then say, well, why not me and someone else? How would that be fair? Teens and young people, you've been on my mind frequently. A hallmark of you is that spirit, that desire to change the world, to make a difference, a positive contribution. That's the spirit that we deeply need. However, a hallmark of our age is the simple-minded way that's held out to us to affect change through dividing people into groups. Us and them, woke and not, racist and not, the one percenters and everybody else, the perpetrators and the victims. I don't know if you noticed this, but I have never once heard someone making the accusation against a perpetrator that they could ever possibly be one themselves, as though anything is actually wrong with their own hearts. I've never heard someone ask the question when rating against one percenters, what do you mean by that? One percenters of this incredibly privileged country in which we live? What about beyond our borders? Most everyone in our country falls within the one percent, privileged as we are. Or systemic racism? Who asks the question, is there a society that doesn't have a tie to slavery in its past? Can you name one? Are you sure that you're connected? 
have your faith with that one? You see, what it does is it allows us to rail against injustices out there in systems, in institutions, in structures, while overlooking the injustices that we can actually rectify in our own lives, like being mean to mom. We're abusing our siblings. Or taking advantage of others by cheating. Or by not doing our chores. I don't think I'll ever forget this young man who approached me a number of years ago. He was unable to keep a job, but somehow he was able to keep a large stash of marijuana. <laughs> and he asked me the church for financial assistance to travel to North Dakota, I believe it was, to protest the Keystone Pipeline. With apparently no problem whatsoever in overlooking that which could be done, contributing to society, making a difference, getting away from things that walk you down, to something that is far removed. It's hard to see how if we do not attend to that which we can do in our own heart, that we would not be culpable of what Jesus said. The way against the movement. Hypocrisy. Do the things that can be done. Begin with your own life. Pick up your room. Help out where you can. Do your homework. Assist those in need. That's the way to make a difference. And it's the way that we prepare for Jesus when he finally returns.